All right, welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We are going to jump into the investing series here in just a second. But before we do, let's hit our sponsors that help make the show possible, and then we will be right back. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. So today I'm going to talk a little bit more on investing. And yes, there still are going to be podcast guests and more of the interview format. Summer has started and that has made scheduling a little tougher, but what that's done is given me a heck of a lot more time to knock out some of these investing podcasts that I've had on the back burner and wanted to to get to. And so today we're going to talk about momentum or trend following, which is definitely something that's going to be a little bit different and hopefully challenge some preconceived notions and maybe interest you in digging a little bit deeper. It's certainly something that I found fascinating when I started learning about it and something that uh, we implement at Vincere and I talk to a lot of people about. So did you know that all of the G7 countries, so Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the United States and the UK have experienced at least one period where stocks have lost 75% of their value? To get back to even, if you lose 75% of your value, you need a 300% return. That's 10% for five years, or sorry, for 15 years. It's a long time. Um, And then you can think about, well, what if I just held cash? And you've heard me talk about cash several different times. Um, That also, worst real return, so again, remember that's after inflation, taxes, and fees, is um, a complete zero. And the average return is about a negative 4.1% over the long term. Government bonds, right? That's safe money. Wrong. Negative 100%. The average real return is about 0.7% over the long term. Now, the the zero, or sorry, the negative hundreds for both of those was Weimar Germany, which was the hyperinflation and the um, basically destruction of Germany post World War One, which then led to the rise of the Nazis. Fascinating stuff. Really interesting to to dig into if you want to learn a little bit about what money looks like when it dies. There's a great book. That is actually titled that, What Money Looks Like, or it's um, When Money Dies. Really, really interesting. And there are some eerie um, signs that um, when you see this like hyperinflation or high inflation that, um, you know, just the, the culture and things start to change. 
the United States is not there yet. I know Jack Dorsey recently tweeted, you know, when did the U.S. dollar lose its reserve status? I tend to agree with him on a lot of his takes. I tend to think that maybe the U.S. dollar has lost its, um, you know, reign as king, and it's certainly on the the decline and not on the rise. But um, anyways, back to momentum and trend following. I'm not going to get distracted into other things that are happening right now. So managing risk is certainly an important concept to grasp when investing. So while extreme examples of a negative 75% loss, even a 50% loss requires 100% return. It's not, hey, I'm down 50, I make 50, I'm back to even. That is not how it works. And oddly enough, we've seen household stock names provide that kind of experience over the last 12 months. So Amazon, from its all-time high last July to last month's low, negative 44%. Netflix, uh, all-time high last November, and then last month it was down 75.9% from its all-time high. Tesla uh, down 48.9% from its all-time high last November to last month's lows. And even a boring company like Clorox since January in one quarter dropped 31%. So to say like, oh, well, shoot, you know, I will never experience those kind of kind of losses. And you might be saying, well, shoot, that's why I buy the S&P 500 index. So you get all these 500 different names. True. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, why diversify? you know, I'm X, this is my situation. I'm a long-term investor. I'm just going to buy the S&P and be done with it. Great. If you think you can handle losing half the value of your account once, probably twice in your investing career, go for it. Or you could own a variety of things, manage risk a bit better and arrive at the same place, or actually probably slightly better because the way the compounding works, um, that seems pretty interesting. And the thing that I want to talk about is trend following. And sometimes it's called momentum and how that can actually pair so well with just a long only, so just buying and holding stocks or bonds or anything else. So the implementation of what I'm going to talk through is the idea of owning a variety of asset classes. So when I say asset classes, again, it's like stocks. So U.S. or international or emerging markets, bonds, so 30-year bonds or five-year bonds, um, government bonds, corporate bonds, real estate via REITs, which is publicly traded stocks that are real estate investment trusts. So they're not quite like owning private real estate. That would be better than REITs, but you could do it that way. Commodities, so energies, metals, precious metals and grains, gold and cash. If you own all these different assets, um, it allows you to own them when they are in a trend that is going up, which sounds super simple, and you exit stage left when they're in a downward trend. And the results are actually quite surprising and look very different than just owning things long, which would be, hey, I'm going to buy 60% stocks, 40% bonds, I'm going to hold it and never make a change. I'll just rebalance every quarter, every year, whatever. The risk is managed much better. Um, and that's often measured by a jargony term called sharp, which I'm not going to get too much into, but just think of it is if you're going to see more fluctuations in the values of what you're owning, you should see a higher return. So it's like, if I'm going to sweat more about my returns going up and down, I better see a higher return. So like case in point, if I own Bitcoin and it's volatile and going all over the place, my long-term returns better be much higher. That's a really good example actually of, of Sharp. And the idea of trend following, it's designed to minimize portfolio drawdowns by being rules-based. It removes emotions from decision-making. The same parameters for all assets are mechanical, it's actionable, and it's based on price. You invest broadly across asset classes and geography, and provides investors with more opportunities to see returns. The research supports the approach to lower risk and potentially enhance long-term returns. And the biggest thing that I would encourage you to understand is like, I always use an analogy of cooking. So if I am cooking or I am baking or I'm doing anything in the kitchen, 
more ingredients, better tasting dish, better bake, right? Less ingredients, um, less likely for that to happen. So just like in medicine and science, you should never trust, but you should verify that something works out in the wild. So I'll share some great tidbits, some research, some writing, some reports, some information. I'm going to link to all this stuff in the show notes. You probably saw it if you clicked on this, that, hey, there's a handful of different links. They might be in the weeds. They are going to be deep into things that you may or may not be interested in at all. But I think it's important to say, hey, don't just trust this random guy on a podcast, right? There's really smart people that have done the work already that have shown that these things work. And while I can't give you investment recommendations, a lot of the folks that are writing in these pieces, um, you can certainly follow along with some of the concepts and things that they're doing, dig into who they are, and I'm sure you can find out that they may offer things that, that, that capitalize on some of these ideas. So in a paper called Momentum in Imperial Russia, research has been done that finds the momentum effect that is similar in magnitude to those in modern markets and stronger during the post-1893 period than during the pre 1893 period consistent with the overconfidence theory of momentum that is the idea that trends are pervasive across history across asset classes and that is wild so there's a paper done in 2015 that basically shows hey you can find these ideas of trend following or momentum in in history as well not just in more recent times so uh, i want to dive into something that you might be thinking right now which is hey someone's going to likely call this investing market timing, which we've all been told is really bad. The difference is with trend following, it's like, hey, there's rules and it's execution based. There's no emotion. Market timing is more of like, well, I think now is a good time to sell. I hope that if I make this decision, I'm going to make more money or, hey, I think the market's at an expensive point. The idea is that that all the noise in the markets, price is truth and you can follow the truth and make adjustments based on data. And hey, I've seen the, the, the information, I've read these you know, pieces, I've done a lot of work in this space. And so the data speaks for itself. And while it can look really boring, if you're a long-term investor, it's really hard to argue with the results. Just a quick tidbit, from 1996 to the end of 2021, a model that is similar in, in, in trying to implement some of these concepts, right, has a higher return than the S&P 500 in a maximum loss, so that kind of worst pain threshold of less than 10% where the market was down 50. So does it beat the S&P annually? No, but it compounds much, much higher. If I'm investing into that, saving into that for the future, shoot, that really looks pretty good. Now, over the last 10 years, it's looked horrible. Horrible being like it's made money, but not as much as the S&P. But in 2022, it's looked smart again, right? So again, if you're a long-term investor, some of these ideas are things that you want to implement. And it doesn't have to be an all or nothing type of decision. So let's dive into some of the evidence, shall we? And I'll give you the cliff notes and some resources that I found meaningful, and we'll go from there. So in the paper called Learning to Play Offense and Defense, Combining Value and Momentum from Bottom Up to Top Down, Meb Faber from Cambria Research um, talked about both value and momentum. And I'm going to talk about value later on. Warren Buffett's made value really, really um, sexy and exciting. And that's where I think a lot of people think about investing, like, ooh, buy things that are cheap. Momentum is a little bit different, but he goes on to share, Meb and his research, that sorting stocks based on value and momentum factors historically have led to outperformance over the broad U.S. stock market. So you can also look at just stocks saying, I just want to momentum weight them for that. And if I just wanted to buy and hold stocks, if I just wanted to buy and then use momentum on that, it actually does outperform the broad U.S. market as well. And from the defense piece, which is kind of the, the idea of trend following, value 
and trend hedging systems historically have improved the risk-adjusted returns of a buy-and-hold portfolio, mainly by reducing volatility and drawdowns. Buy-and-hold investors may want to consider simple hedging rules to potentially protect them from long bear markets and large drawdowns, which again, is kind of what we talked about before. So another piece by Wes Gray at Alpha Architect, trend following the epitome of no pain, no gain. Trend following helps an investor participate in meaningful stock market upside while minimizing the impact of large drawdowns. Sticking with the strategy in real time can be behaviorally challenging. Over the most five-year periods, trend-following strategies underperform the buy-and-hold counterpart. The next tool is trend-following, which has historically been effective to manage extreme risks and losses. You must endure many periods of pain in order to benefit from the gain of trend-following, which I think is really, really super important, and I'll touch on more and more as we go through, is, hey, this works, but it is like getting punched in the gut over and over again where you feel like, man, this isn't working, man, this isn't working, man, this isn't working. Oh, there it is. And so if you wanted to be like, I want to own it for a year, and if it doesn't work, switch back, you're going to be really disappointed. And I think that's the biggest flaw if there is something. This is not a panacea. It's not like it's perfect, and every year it's so much better, right? The idea is if you do it consistently, it pays for itself. So another piece from economic, or sorry, Econopic Data, which is a a NIM, so a a pseudonymous writer um, in uh, the financial community wrote a piece called the behavioral and performance benefits of trend following where he says he kind of had three different rules that I really liked or three, three different findings, I guess, at the end of his paper, which is trend following most useful and reducing drawdown compared to buy and hold trend following outperforms the 64, 60, 40 portfolio consistently trend following models outperform over long periods of time, which I think is great. So if you wanted to look at something and say, Hey, if I wanted an all-inclusive asset allocation, trend following is better than that 60% stocks, 40% bond portfolio, which is great. Um, and then the granddaddy of them all, the one that really got me hooked on this concept, which is a little bit of a longer read than the other ones I just talked about, is called, and this is such a great jargony title, but it's wonderful, uh, A Quantitative Approach to Tactical Asset Allocation by, again, Mr. Meb Faber. And he penned it in 2006 which makes it even cooler because it was right before the financial crisis. And he talked about a lot of different things that did fantastic through the crisis. He updated it in 2014. That kind of, you know, was a, uh, an autopsy of everything that went through, you know, 2008, 2009, and then after. And I know he's talked about, he's going to update the piece soon. It's one of the most downloaded pieces in um, the SSRN database, which is a, a lot of financial writing. So it's not something that you know, hey, here's the inside scoop. No one else knows about this. This is widely accepted, widely read. Lots of people have seen it. But what he talks about is that a moving average um, trading system, so most popular pure trend following system, um, moving average meaning, okay, I'm going to look at a period of time, call it 200 days, and I'm going to buy something if it's above that or sell something if it's below that. Um, Very simplistic, and it works really well. And the example that he talks about early on is from a book that Jeremy Siegel wrote called Stocks for the Long Term, um, the the Definitive Guide to Financial Market Returns and Long-Term Investing. And it showed a S&P 500 with a 10-month simple moving average. And when he applied it, so sorry, it was uh, applied to the NASDAQ, so I think technology stocks. It went from 1972 to 2006 in the market timing system thoroughly outperformed buy and hold on an absolute and risk-adjusted basis. 
and it basically outperformed over time by 4% from that 1972 to 2006 period with 25% less volatility, so the ups and downs. And 4%, if you can compound it 4% over and above like just the NASDAQ, that is a massive amount of uh, additional wealth that's created. So that is really, really impressive. Again, all this stuff has been out for a while. And I think one of the key things that I always will come back to is it still works. It still can be painful to, to watch, but this is not anything that's new or different. But one of the reasons that it works is it is hard to hold on and continue to execute on this strategy. And that's why it continues to work. So Meb tests that idea on the S&P 500 during the dot-com crash, and the simple rule worked really well. The timing model exits a long position in October of 2000, avoided two of the three consecutive years of losses, and it had a 16.5% max drawdown versus a 44.73% uh, max drawdown by the buy and hold investor. So the idea is essentially the system is a model that signals, hey, you should be long or own a riskier asset class with upside potential when it makes sense. And when not sitting cash, which is traditionally like a T-bill, which is a less than five-year kind of treasury um, uh, investment from that standpoint. It's like a, a cash alternative. Basically, the idea is that it, it removes that far left tail of big negative losses. So if you think about the bell curve, right? Hopefully you can visualize that. If you can just cut off that left-hand side of big losses, those really outliers, some people call them black swans, um, you actually don't need to make as much money on the upside because you just avoid those big periods of massive loss. So the idea of the global tactical asset allocation, and he goes on and writes in this piece, is U.S. stocks, foreign stocks, bonds, real estate, and commodities. And the drawdown of owning these via a buy and hold, so if you owned all those and just said, hey, I'm going to buy these, I think they're great, they're good diversifiers, I'm just going to own them in the future, buy and hold, it's a negative 46% max paying, where if you add a timing component or trend, it changes it to less than 10%. Again, 46 to 10 as a massive amount of difference. He does talk about a few practical considerations an investor must analyze before implementing these models for real-world applicability. So basically management fees, taxes, commissions, and slippage. Taxes are likely the biggest. So if possible, I would always recommend if you're gonna do something like this, do it in a retirement account where it does not matter what your tax ramifications are. Um, commissions are zero, so that's kind of gone. When he wrote this, there were still low commissions, but not very much. Slippage is just the cost of buying and selling something. It's the dollar amount where when you buy something, you sell something. If I'm buying Apple, I might it might be two or three pennies different. Um, a lot of these things you're gonna trade would be ETFs, again, remember it's the type of investment vehicle where maybe it's US stocks, broad US stocks. So like something like an SPY. It's very, very liquid. You're not gonna have a lot of slippage on that. If you traded some esoteric strange investment, maybe it's gonna be 50 cent difference from buy and sell. You don't want something like that for a model like this. Um, management fees, right? If you run it yourself, obviously those are just the, the ETFs that you would own. If you outsource it, you wanna look at net net, you know, kind of what the system is, what's the value, and then what does that look like at the end of the day? So why does this actually work so darn well? One of the benefits of a quantitative system is it protects investors from the innate behavioral biases that we all have. People consistently make the same mistakes and that's kind of hardwired into our brains and we do it over and over again. We use a different part of our brain when we are losing money than when we're making money. And if you've ever been to Vegas, you have seen this play out um, 100%. You're making money, things are good, drinks flowing, whatever, like, hey, this is great. And then you start losing money. It's like, hey, I'm just going to get back to, I just got to get back to even. I just got to get back to, you know, where, where I spent this money. 
and people are not thinking the same way when, when money is being lost. On average, a kind of trend or tactical model, and this is again a Meb's piece, he, he has the, the research that shows this, and again, this is a little dated, so this is updated in 2014, but on average, the returns are 60% lower and the volatility is 30% higher when the market is below its 10-month simple moving average. So again, in that rule, when it's underneath that, so let's just use the U.S. stock market for example, the returns when it's under that, that moving average historically are really bad, but the, the gyrations and the ups and downs are much higher. So it's like if you can just avoid those, you do so much better. So as we conclude, the idea that you see a trend starting to happen and then you own that asset class, so a stock, bond, commodity, gold, cash, whatever, uh, and well, cash would be you know basically that you're just going to step off and not play at the moment. You own that until it changes. It's unemotional. You get in, you get out, and you trust the system. Now, there are a lot of additional tweaks, bells, whistles that can be implemented, but the biggest thing is you. If you create the system or you use one of the more simplistic systems out there, you cannot say, well, this time I'm not going to do it. I'm going to cheat. This doesn't really make sense. I, I think we need to make this adjustment. And that's honestly the biggest flaw is the human element of it, of a person not executing on the system. There are going to be times where it is extremely hard to trust the system and do what you are being told. So example I'll give you is the, the model that we run. Um, I talk about cash being trash and inflation eating away and how horrible it is, blah, 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 blah. Again, cash is part of this model. Again, I don't think of that as buy and hold cash, but it's part of the system, right? So the tactical model went to 25% cash in January of 2022. And did I think, oh yeah, that's the right decision. That's smart. No, but shoot, looking back, it's been a great decision. And you need to trust that this works, right? Like if you're going to implement it, you have to say, I believe that this works and this is why. And then you implement it. And it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. You can take a portion of your portfolio, use it as part of an allocation. I uh, really kind of poo-pooed bonds on the last conversation. And I do think they're a sucker's bet to buy and hold over the long term. Um, maybe trend model could be a, a spot where you take some of the more, you know, safe money or the, the money that you want to protect a little bit more and carve that off and take it from bonds. Like, I think that's one idea that makes a ton of sense right now. And it gets tricky because again, I can't tell you what to do. I, I don't know <laughs> who, who's listening, right? And uh, you can't give advice that's just blanket. But I can tell you that most advisors don't encourage this style of investing. And you might be like, well, yeah, Isaiah, why does no one else talk about this? Well, the idea is that they think it's market timing because they haven't really done the work. I think that's the first thing that should be abundantly clear is if you talk to a handful of advisors, they just haven't done the work. They haven't dug in. And it introduces career risk, which is, hey, the last 10 years, this hasn't kept up with the US stock market. Also, it's not designed to. Um, and maybe their clients would fire them. So it's just easier to say, hey, own 60% stocks, 40% bonds. That's what everyone does. And then when the market's down, you just say, hey, just buy and hold. This is this is it. Look at the, Look at this chart. It shows at this point, this is when you can't sell because look at the recovery. You're always, it always comes back. You always make money. Where with trend following, you're doing it a different way. Instead of taking most traditional investing is you take the stairs up and the elevator down. And with trend following, it's like kind of like the stairs both ways where it's just going to be slower up and it's going to be slower down. And think of it as like a dimmer switch. It's going to make adjustments over time. And the idea is that you're not going to be specifically right or wrong but you're never gonna be so heavily one-sided that you're gonna get smacked. The goal is minimize losses and that the compounding effect over time works so much better. So I think that's partially why most advisors don't um, 
talk about it because they just haven't done the work and they don't believe in it. And it's been easy, right? The last 10 years, it's made way more sense and candidly so to be owning 100% long US stocks. And that might not be the case in the future. I don't know. My crystal ball is broken. That's also the beauty of this system. It doesn't, you don't have to be right. You just execute on it and come hell or high water, it's going to continue to do what it does. And it gives you broad exposure to a lot of different ingredients or things that could work. And I think that's super important. The goal of investing in this series is to educate you as to the why. And so this style of investing, you know, saves your hide occasionally and maybe more times than you think and allows for good compounding and it can be rebalanced, right? So if you compare this with something that's more aggressive, you know, rebalance in stressful times and then you can buy into those riskier investments at the lows. So the goal is to grow and compound wealth. Trend and momentum does this really well. And I think that's, again, another reason why personally from a Vincere side, we really like it because again, if you're thinking about, I want to meet these goals, I want to do these different things. How do you invest towards that? Hey, I want to pay my student debt um, you know, uh, tax bomb. Okay. You know, maybe it makes sense to own stocks for the first 10 years. And then the second half of that, you want to take some risk off the table. Maybe this would work. Right. Um, so this is really just kind of scratching the surface on, uh, the idea, but I think it's a good start. If you're interested, check out the resources in the show notes and, uh, let me know what you think and check out those resources as well. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.